Hello, everybody. Welcome to New York City on a hot August night. This is, believe it or not, episode four. Yes, episode four of Vintage Sand, our film history podcast. This is Josh Cabot uh, with my uh, with my whole sick crew here uh, of my droogs, uh, Mike Edmund and uh, John Meyer. Ready to Hello. do some damage? Hello. Hello. And uh, we are circling back, not surprisingly. You know, it's August, so, you know, a young man's thoughts turn to Hitchcock. And we are going <laughs> to... <laughs> Not any particular young man I'd want my daughter to date, for example, but there you go. So, you know, every film conversation always seems to come back to Hitchcock in one way or another. I haven't seen any over the summer, but, you know, that's that's on me. And um, what we wanted to do today, since we always end up talking about Hitchcock, is, well, talk about Hitchcock. And we, what we're going to do is talk about our five favorite moments in Hitchcock. And, you know, John was complaining endlessly about having only five to do. So, uh, yeah. I have about a hundred, so. Well, I mean, you're talking about 53 or so films, and uh, with the exception of a few clunkers, a whole lot of genius in there. So, um... We're going to dive right into it, and uh, we're going to just go around the room and yell at each other and criticize each other, and, and it's, <laughs> but it's all in good fun. All right, so we're going to start with our number five Hitchcock moment, and I'm going to pass the baton to John Mayer. Okay, I'm starting out with a moment from Notorious. Uh, there's a moment in the beginning of the movie after the party that Cary Grant has crashed, and he is talking to Ingrid Bourbon as he's walking towards her with a glass of something. We assume it's orange juice because she obviously has a hangover. Uh, the camera, it's from Bergman's point of view, the camera begins to turn because as he comes closer, she's looking up at him and his figure spins in the camera frame. Oh, he turns oh, upside you, down. I thought you were in Brazil already. No, so we're talking no, about Miami. We're talking no, about the beginning. Yeah, yeah. The very beginning. Right. Okay. And I think it's a classic Hitchcock moment because it illustrates so well how he used the camera to express subtext. Subtext in the story and subtext in the characters. Because when she meets Cary Grant, her world is turned upside down. It is never the same again. And literally, it's her perspective, too. It's like that yeah. wonder. There's like the second shot, if you break down the shower sequence in Psycho, the second shot is us looking up into the shower head yeah, with it yeah, coming down yeah. on us. So this could be you. You're at, that's the Hitchcock theme is vulnerability, the explosion yes. of chaos, right? Yeah. Into, and when yeah. are you more vulnerable than in the shower? I mean, you know, right. I don't usually go into the shower armed. I can't talk right. about you guys, but the city's gotten tough. So, yeah, so, and, and that's, your, that's your number five. That's a beautiful one. And, uh, so many moments like it's a, that. It's a beautiful movie. It's, it's, it's Start brilliant. to finish. Yeah, it's Mother, brilliant. I'm married to an American agent. Yes, <laughs> great moment. Claude, poor Claude Rains, so doesn't deserve. And Louis Calhoun is a very good looking man, isn't he? You mentioned that, what, like five times in the movie. Yeah. He's very, very good looking. Very good looking man. All right. So, Notorious, from which, by the way, as you will all recall, we get our title, Vintage Sand. That's from that moment where the bottle of wine in the cellar breaks and it turns out to be uranium ore instead of uh, wine and Cary Grant's reaction as you hear at the beginning is vintage sand. Michael Edmund, your number five. Okay, my number five and I'm doing something a little different than you guys. I'm 
concentrating on the wit of Alfred Hitchcock. And these not, are not necessarily my favorite moments, but for me, these are the funniest moments. These are the moments that just put a big, fat smile on my face. That works. Bring it. And my number five is the one film of the five that's not maybe one of my favorites. It's, um, and not what I would call at all one of his more comedic movies. It's actually a fairly fairly grim movie. It's Frenzy. It's um, the second to last film he made. A lot of, got a good sick humor in that. There's though. sick humor, but I don't, I mean, there is one line in particular that I, I, I wish they would cut out of all prints. I don't know if you know. We know well, no, the line. go for it. Which one? The the line where uh, two politicians. It's towards the beginning of the film where two politicians are talking about the necktie strangler, and one is saying, "Oh, it's good for the tourist," and then they're served uh, beer by uh, a rather overweight barmaid, and uh, one of them says, "Oh yeah, Massey, we're we're talking about the uh, necktie strangler. Oh, he rapes them first. And the other one starts chuckles and he said, well, that proves that every cloud has a silver lining. Could you wow. imagine okay, anyone okay, right. saying that line anywhere context, today? Context, There's context. There's a reason why Frenzy is not a big favorite of mine. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for me, it's the, it's the, it's the, saliva, it's the saliva dripping off mm -hmm. her tongue when he, uh, when he strangles yeah. her. It's oh, like, yes. and, the, and the intense cloud, yeah. like, okay, you know. Can we go back to the old production code, please? Yeah, and this is the one time where he takes advantage of the of the new yeah. Uh, yeah. rating system. Yeah. It is a far better film than either Torn Curtain or Topaz. Oh, good Lord. Or Family Plot, I would say. Well, yeah. I, of the, his last four films, it is his, it is his best. I love the breadsticks. The moment you know, right after Barry Foster is breaking the right. uh, breaking the fingers to get the the tie pin, and then <laughs> Alec uh, McCowan and Vivian Merchant she's serving him breadsticks. Well, that's what I'm going to talk about. Oh no! Yes. Oh, I stepped on it. Oh, this, bad me. I am talking about the the part of Frenzy that I absolutely love, and that is basically the two scenes, and there's a little uh, intro scene where uh, Vivian Merchant, as the wife of, the ins of Inspector Oxford, <laughs> is gone to this gourmet cooking school and is making the most atrocious meals possible. But the funny thing is that we first learn about it at the New Scotland Yard, where um, Alec McGowan is eating a regular English breakfast, which, for my taste, looks just as bad as everything else. It's just eggs and sausages all over the place, but he's complaining about his wife and his sergeant, played by a wonderful actor named Michael Bates. Mm. He, he was um, Field Marshal Montgomery and Patton, mm -hmm. and he was also in yeah. A Clockwork Orange. He was yeah. the uh, lead guard. A wonderful actor. He died at 57. Did a little research on that. And anyway, and he says, well, I'm a Quaker Oats man myself. <laughs> and then we see, uh, about 30 minutes later, we see him at home with his wife. And they're basically recapping the plot, which we don't need because it's not that complicated of a plot. But the camera is on the horrible food. And the way poor Alec McGowan is, is trying to hide the fact that he can't stand any of this. And Vivian Merchant, who only made eight films, she was such a wonderful actress, damn, uh, is just blithing away, cooking away, and they show, mainly, they show close-ups of them and then close-ups of the horrible food. And 
my favorite line in these two scenes are towards the end when uh, the sergeant uh, comes and the first the first scene is they think that uh, uh, what's his name John Finch did it and in the second scene they know that he didn't do it as I said it's not that complicated of a script but uh, the sergeant comes in and he's all excited and uh, she's making a margarita for him which is apparently undrinkable <laughs> and he's he's telling he's really excited the sergeant is talking about it and he goes and then and he puts his finger up and Alec McGowan just looks at him. He says, what are you waiting for, drum roll? <laughs> <laughs> and to me, That's those awesome. two scenes make the film. I, I, I thought Alec McGowan was one of the most wonderful actors. He didn't, it's probably the largest part he ever had in the film. I'd seen him several times on stage. And I, Merchant was just And I remember, remember reading that, that, you know, unlike, you know, a lot of the American actors that Hitchcock worked with, you know, they had their scenes all worked out, all the bits of business rehearsed before they even showed up. And it was such a, it was, except for his wife having a stroke, it was a very pleasant shoot. Also one of my favorite last lines of any uh, Hitchcock film, why Mr. Rusk, you're you're not not wearing wearing your tie. tie. (laughs) Um, I think we forget a lot of times that there's a lot of humor in most mm -hmm. Hitchcock movies. Yeah. Yes. Um, less so in the 60s. Yes, yes that's yes. why these two scenes yeah. stand out. There wasn't yeah. much, there was very little humor in uh, Marnie. Psycho. None in, yeah. well, Psycho Birds. had no, a little Psycho, bit. there is humor. It's, it's, it's rather car. twisted, some of the humor, but yeah. there is humor in it or whatever. The There's birds, very little humor in the birds. Birds, no. none in Torn Curtain. Uh, and none in Topaz. And none in Topaz. Unless Lila Kudrow is supposed to be funny. <laughs> She's not. I don't She's, think so. She's no, and I, unless Simon Oakland, as a psychiatrist, is supposed to be funny and psycho. I don't you think see, so. he was half Norman well, and is, half his mother. It is, it is a little bit of a, a joke on psychiatrists, yes. whatever, trying yes. to like just explain away what had happened. But you don't right. sit there and laugh or no. smile. No, no, no. These no. scenes, you smile at. Definitely. Yeah. And when I, the first time I yeah. saw Frenzy, that's what I remembered most were those two wonderful scenes. Yeah, beautiful. I love those. All right, for me, my number five, and I do this in honor of I actually got to visit Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa, California, um, where Hitchcock uh, had probably what is his happiest shoot. He, according to him, working with Thornton Wilder and a great group of actors, Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright, on Shadow of a Doubt in 1943. And the, for those of you who have seen it, and those of you who have not, you should, um, it's about a serial killer, the Merry Widow Killer. Um, and as the film goes on, Teresa Wright, who uh, is is you know loves her uncle, they're both. In fact, she's named after him. They're both named Charlie. But she comes to suspect that he is the Merry Widow Killer, and then we find out that there are actually two suspects. The suspect back east has been caught, and there was a shootout with the police, and he's been killed. So. For all intents and purposes, the Merry Widow killer case is solved and Uncle Charlie is free. And so we see him running up the steps of the house inside. He says, you know, I feel great. Running up the steps of the house and then he slows down and stops. And Hitchcock, there's a scream close up on his back and, the, and he turns around and at the bottom of the stairs is Teresa Wright looking at him. 
because she knows. Yeah. And he right. knows that she knows, and right. it's from that minute that he knows that he has to eliminate her, no matter how much he loves her. And what a, there's so much conveyed in that one moment. Joseph Cotton does so much with his, just the way he stops. And you're like, wait, the yeah. whole, you get the whole wash of thought washing over him. And the look on Teresa Wright's face, you know, uh, that she's not going to let him go and she's not going to let this go as much as she loves him. So it's just a beautiful moment in a film. It's chilling. Oh, yes. my God. <laughs> and, and and you're like, and of course, you know, it ends up with the great scene with, you know, the fight on the train and right. the feet and yeah. all that. And listen, there are problems with Shadow of a Doubt. Um, you know, McDonald Carey is kind of an interesting choice. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit cardboard. Yeah, a little bit. He always was. But on the other hand, you know, the parents and the and the girl they got to play the little sister yeah. of, who was a, a local girl who's hilarious. And the parents, and Henry Travers and, and Patricia Collins. Patricia were, Collins. Were, were brilliant. And Joseph brilliant Cotton, actors. you know, no no one better in the 40s, I think. So, but just that moment, John had it exactly right. The chill of that moment when we're like, oh my God, he knows, she knows, he knows, and then right. bad stuff is going to ensue. Right. So that's my number five moment from, from I, what I think is a top five Hitchcock film, and I think more people need to see Shadow of a Doubt. Um, let's go to number four. Okay. Johnny, you're up. Um, my moment is from The Birds. Uh, there is, first I want to set up the fact that the Jessica Tandy character, um, her husband has died. She's trying, she's kind of struggling to still move on and, and be self-sufficient and strong. Uh, she's a sad lady. There is uh, something going on with the chickens that she has. They won't eat the feed. She's right. been complaining about it. So she hears that uh, so-called neighbor, he lives quite a way, a friend, whatever, his chickens won't eat either. And he said, well, see, that's what it is. But he had different feed. And it's like, so she goes to go see him and she walks into the house and she notices the teacups the shattered teacups hanging on the wall and they're all broken yeah. and it just camera just stops for a moment she looks at them she knows something bad has happened we know that she knows something bad has happened Again, it's like but also the the teacups become very symbolic they become almost a symbol of her uh, her personality, uh, her her fragility, and also the fragility of life. Yep, older, how, beautiful, how, and friend. and then and we go to the triple jump cut to the eye. Right. right, and of yeah. course, and of course, you, you know, she still goes on. And we're of course we're we're watching a movie. It's like, don't go down there, get out of there. <laughs> exactly, go home. Have you ever seen one of these movies, Jessica Tandy? Come on. <laughs> no, that's a beautiful, and I love that. That as an English teacher, I would I would give you major points for the symbolism of the teacups. I yeah. never really thought of that. That's oh, great. It's, it's perfect. Older, beautiful, and fragile, and yeah, that's her. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. And yeah. God, I love that film. And she's she's wonderful in the movie. She yeah. really is. She almost always was. Yes. She was one of those yeah. actors who, yeah. you know. Yeah, not a big uh, Driving Miss Daisy fan for which she won yes, her Oscar. But, but this is just a little piece of trivia. You're my best friend. <laughs> and John knows this because when they were casting that uh, movie, um, Every actress in the world was going up for that. Lucille Ball, uh, Meryl Streep, Maggie Smith. And I'd seen the play, and when they, they announced that um, Jessica Tandy, 
have been cast, I said to John, and I said to a couple other people, if they don't screw up this movie, she's going to win the Oscar because she was just so yeah. perfectly cast. Yeah. yeah, no, that's her. And I mean, she did. Yeah. I still resent the film for winning the Oscar that year. Yeah, or, well, uh, it's not that Do the Right Thing wasn't even nominated. But <laughs> it's not even that great a play. I mean, I'm pull a surprise. And it kind of put Morgan Freeman on the map too. So let's give it. it a, let's give it. It a did. No, it's right. very. It's very well acted. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just. You know. Let's let's anyway. We're getting off the track. But yes, we sorry. Di- but we digress, <laughs> which is sort of the whole point. Yes. Michael, your number four. Okay, my number four is not one that usually comes up in the top five, but once again, I'm I'm talking about wit, and this is the Lady Vanishes. Oh, lovely. lovely. A lot of people haven't seen it, and they should. It's I well, it is the film I believe that got Hitchcock to the, this country. Yeah, between that and maybe 39 yeah. Steps. 39 yeah. Steps was like three, four years earlier, yeah. and he was still working in England. It is the only film that Alfred Hitchcock, according to my research, won an actual film award for. He won the New York Film Critics Award for Best Director. And it's a, I think it's the best movie ever made on a train. No argument yeah, for me. It's very, very witty, and it will, t- it will take too long to explain what happens, but basically a governess has disappeared and a woman who she had talked to is telling, trying to tell the other passengers where, that this woman has disappeared and nobody except the lead, Michael Redgrave, believes her. And then she's found, and there are. It's it's in a mythical country. I don't think that Bandrika. Bandrika. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I always assumed it was some East European. Yeah, country. some Balkan state. Yeah. yeah. And so Paul Lucas, who pretends to be this nice guy, is really the head kidnapper. And they, uh, at one point, they uh, cut off the train so that only half the train is moving, including the dining car. So there's like six people in a dining car, including these two guys who are cricket fanatics. And they are so funny. This is, I, I took down their names. So Naughton Wayne and Basil Radborn. Chorters and Caldecott. Who later did other films yes, in those same in characters, those characters, including um, Night Train to Munich. And which, I did not know this. I mean, because I, I hadn't seen any of their other films, but they are very, very funny. Anyway. Other things happen. A nun, who's not really a nun, who was involved in the kidnapping, when she realizes that the, that the Miss Foy, the lady, Dame May Whitty, is going to be killed, she goes over to the other side. And so she's, there's a um, person who comes onto the train that has, been, that has stopped and says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, this has all been a, a terrible mistake. If you all come off the train, uh, we will, uh, I will go to your embassy and everything will be all right. And the nun motions to Michael Redgrave, don't believe him, don't believe him. And so Redgrave says, oh, could you take a look at this lady? Who, and the nun is on the floor. The guy turns, and he, and he says, oh yeah, and he, this is the key to the line. I, I went to Oxford, you know. So the guy bends down and Michael Redgrave picks up a chair and knocks him out. And uh, one of the guys, either um, uh, Charter, uh, says, why, did, why on earth did you do that for? And Redgrave says, I went to Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just all of these Perfect. funny, funny lines. I don't even know if I could classify it as a drama or not. It is just such a witty, 
delightful movie. And granted, some of the effects are... It's very British, too. It is very, very British. Very British. And there are some shots where it looks like the train is almost a miniature train. Oh, but it definitely is, yeah. And it looks it, unfortunately. But if people... It doesn't come out enough. It it isn't shown much. It's rarely shown on TCM. Uh, it, it turns up every once in a while. And, there, and in Criterion, last couple, yes, a couple of years I ago, put out, a, put out a version of it. Yeah. Which yep. I have, and it, it's just such a, t- a delight. So that that's my fourth favorite humor. And I love, the moment I love is the Freud, when she writes her name on the window yes. in the fog mm-hmm. because Margaret yeah. Lockwood can't hear her. And right. then, you know, then, then the train... She's about to show it to Michael Redgrave to prove the woman did exist, and then the train right. goes into a tunnel at right. that moment and it disappears. <laughs> One of my other favorite lines was when when they start shooting, and the two the two cricket fanatics realize something is wrong, and he goes, "You know, there might be something to this. One doesn't go uh, tying up nuns, you know." <laughs> no, and at the end, of course, the the joke on the joke is at the end. Yes, test match canceled. It was canceled right? <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> They were so worried about getting the cricket yeah. results. That is just a lovely film, it's, start to finish. Right. Um, for my fourth, I'm going to Vertigo. Um, although I think the entire, yeah, as Michael and I share, the fact that this is our favorite movie in the world, and there are so many moments. But there's one moment that completely stands out because, as far as I know, Hitchcock never did it before or after. When he, uh, when um, Kim Novak as Madeline jumps into the bay, he. Jumps in after her. Jimmy Stewart jumps in after her. You know, swims her back with a, a you know a lifeguard kind of carry. Picks her up and then starts walking her over to the green car in the distance. And then there's this dissolve cut where we we don't see him walk all the way. We see him walking in the background. And then there's this like beautiful kind of dissolve. And he is right in front of us about to put her in the car. And that's something that a French New Wave director would do, but this is two years before the French, one year before the French New Wave even hit. So it just, it, it, I don't know, I've always, that scene, I've always found jarring in a very interesting way. I'm like, why did, I, it feels uh, like. I th- I th- it adds to the whole dreamlike Yes, the dreamlike, the, the ghostliness. Yeah. Absolutely, because, you know, we had that scene not too long before that in the McKittrick Hotel, and where also, she kind of va- also vanishes. It, it embellishes the whole theme of the fact that he's imbued so much onto her right. from his mind. And it's one of the themes of the movie about how people can. You know, romanticize a person, or not really to have this idea of a person in their head and fall in love with that idea instead of the real person. And, right, and well, and you know, we see that with Judy. It can't matter yeah. to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, but there's, but it's, uh, it's a moment that I said, you know, Hitchcock did tons of things with cameras, with edits, but I've never seen that. Look for it in that scene. It's this, this beautiful dissolve that, as John said, makes it feel even more dreamlike, even more. I mean, the whole first segment until Madeline's death feels like. Like a dream, and that just really seals it for me. I love that moment. It's unexpected and kind of breathtaking. I think yeah. still after all the times I've seen Plus, it, that, that that entire extended moment is so beautiful. Just the, the way it's composed, the the bridge in the background, oh. which has also has so much subtext to it, or whatever. And uh, I mean, it's breathtaking. 
Yeah, I, and I, when I was in San Francisco uh, last February, I took the trip down to Fort Point, and you know, <laughs> the I had, Vertigo tour. Uh, the Vertigo tour. Yeah, Ernie's is not there anymore, nor is Ransahoff's a department store. Or but yeah, I know a lot of stuff still is, but uh, not so much anymore. Mm. So yeah, I did. The only place I missed was Bodega Bay, which I have to get to next time. Is for, there? For the, there's there's almost nothing of the birds standing there. There is the. Schoolhouse. There's part of the schoolhouse. But is a there is a town name? Oh yeah, Bodega. It's, it's oh yeah. It's oh yeah. No, he filmed it. Oh, yeah. He changed the town around, but he filmed it there. So yeah. and they are they are very proud of it. All right, John. Number three to you. Okay, I'm moving on to North by Northwest. Ah, I saw that coming. Ah, so there's uh, we all know the beginning of the movie. Cary Grant as Roger Thornhill has been basically kidnapped from the Plaza Hotel. Case of mistaken identity. And he's forced to, I guess we could call it drink. I'm making quotes around drink. Uh, Radio air quotes. He's <laughs> whatever it is that they force down him, some sort of booze or whatever. But after uh, he's been to jail and everything and goes to the, the hearing, uh, he wants to go, he goes to the UN, he wants to confront Lester Townsend. And he's thinking Lester Townsend is James Mason. When he does actually meet the real Lester Townsend, he's talking to him, and one of the henchmen or whatever tries to kill him. He throws a knife, and it mistakenly hits Lester Townsend. It's, it's horrible. But at, at the same time, I remember when I saw this for the first time in the theater, the entire audience started laughing because it's just so unbelievable because then he carry guy pulls a knife out <laughs> yes he right. pulls a knife out a, a, a bystander takes a picture <laughs> and of we it. see it on the cover <laughs> of, of the newspaper the next day he drops the knife and then and then runs out and it's it's so typical of hitchcock that whole inversion of of this, uh, this very dark horrible moment but somehow injects humor into it and north by north especially has this double-edged sword to it it's constantly Revolving because there'll, there'll be a moment that's very witty and funny, but then you think, well, wait a minute, that's not funny, right? And, and there's real danger here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, that's uh, the, uh, the so many good. That's a film. See, and that's why I don't love it quite as much as you guys do because for me it's much more a film about really amazing set pieces you know most obviously the crop duster in Mount Rushmore yeah. but I mean and it doesn't really hold together although Cary Grant and especially Eva Marie Saint is, I, are amazing. I think it does but also you, you bring up something that Hitchcock did sometimes he does it in North Bar Ness where he, would, he made a movie within a movie so especially with the, the crop dusting scene he does it in Rear Window with a part that takes place at night when James Stewart's trying to stay awake all night and watch what's going on and he falls asleep and the Raymond Burr character is traveling back and forth in the rainstorm with a suitcase. If you don't know it already or whatever, he's probably moving body parts. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of filmmaking, that, that part. Uh, he does it in Notorious, the part from the, the famous shot from the top of the stairs that goes, that I'll zooms down to the key all the way to the end, to the cellar scene through the party and everything, and afterwards until, until Claude Rains catches him kissing. It's a movie within itself. And if I were to tell anybody who'd never seen Cary Grant, and believe me, I've, I've met a few. I, I've acted with a young lady once who thought Cary Grant was a woman. <clears throat> yeah. 
and she wasn't that much younger than me. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> anyway, but if I were to tell anyone to see the perfect Cary Grant performance, it would be in North by Northwest, because in that one, he does it all. He's funny as hell. He's a leading man. Yeah. He gets angry. Yeah. He goes through everything, all the emotions, and he, he's just so totally brilliant. It's also, it. the movie is a bit of a commentary on the, the, the Cary Grant leading man. He's, right. he's, he's, he's putting him through the, oh, absolutely. the, the meat grinder in that movie. Yes. Well, and I love the idea, I forget where I read it, I think it might have been Donald Spoto who said that the four Jimmy Stewart films, Jimmy Stewart is how Hitchcock saw himself, you know, as the philosopher of murder and rope, as the man behind yeah. the camera, as the, as the father, and as the hopeless romantic obsessed with recreating blondes yeah, and vertigo. That's very true. And Cary Grant is how he wanted to see himself. Right. You know the dashing, yeah. possible murderer and suspicion and notorious, and how every male movie goer in history wanted to see himself. Yeah. Well, even under, Cary Grant. <laughs> I understand that they thought that Jimmy Stewart was going to do North by Northwest, and then when really, yeah, that's what I read. Mm. Would have been very different. It would have yeah, been very different. I can't but, see that but at all. Because Vertigo did not do well at the box office. Um, yeah, he decided to switch, <laughs> switch to Grant. And because he, remember, he and Grant, you know, supposedly they, 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 had, they their... had an odd relationship. Yeah. 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 Michael, you're number three. Well, I was going to have uh, have it as my number, um, I was going to have to catch a thief as my number three, but since we're on the subject of North by Northwest, I'll just Go for switch it. it around. It is one of the wittiest Hitchcock films. It's one of the few that is a totally original. It is not adapted. That's right. Short right. story. Yeah. Right, right. Um... And um, there are so many set pieces in there that are very, very funny. Cary Grant, you know, it starts off with just, you know, a, f a few lines, you know, do I look heavy to you? He says to his secretary, yeah. put, in, put a note on my calendar, think thin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is also another comment on the Cary Grant image. Exactly. Right, yeah. But there are, there are two things I want to bring up. The, the scene after the chase when he's been poured bourbon down his yeah. throat and he's talking to his mother on the phone and we don't hear her on the other end and he goes, Mother, <laughs> this is your son, Roger Thornhill. No, Mother, I have not been drinking. No, no, you see these two men, they poured a bottle of bourbon into me. <laughs> No, they didn't give me a chaser. <laughs> it is so completely hilarious. Perfect. That, 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 yeah. that scene. But my favorite scene of the whole film has got to be the auction scene. The auction scene, scene is yes. great. Oh, boy. And there's just so many. It, it actually starts off kind of terrifying because he's furious with Eva Marie Saint. We don't know yet that she's part of the, she's really a good guy. We suspect, but we don't know. Yeah. And uh, nothing in it is really funny until it just kind of builds. You, you realize what he's going to do, that he's uh, yelling out these random numbers and people just kind of look at him and one of them says, well, you're not a phony, you're, you're a first class idiot. idiot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he just wants out of there. And then finally, you know, he hits somebody and then the police come and they take him away. And right in front of one of the hoods, he says, Sorry, old man. Keep trying. <laughs> it's, it's just a total... I, I don't even know... I when love when we little, used to classify films, I, I don't know. know how I could classify that. I movie. love the little confrontation he has with James Mason in right. that scene. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And, and, and James Mason is brilliantly oh, slimy in the movie. Yes. Oh. 
what maybe another suave elegant Hitchcock villain yeah, yeah. another episode you're right we'll have to do an episode oh, on Hitchcock absolutely. villains yes we always come back I, to I Hitchcock could, I could talk about Dylan from Murder all yeah or of. Robert Walker in Strangers yeah. or who's mm-hmm. my favorite Claude Rains in Notorious oh yes. my god yep one and of the great film performances so anyway North by Northwest was, was my number two I'll make it my number three all right, fair enough. Um, my number three is from The Birds. Um, it is, it's a movie that the first time I saw it on a big screen, I thought a reel was missing. Because, you know, as I found out later, Hitchcock insisted that the words, the end, don't even appear. I mean, it just, they're driving off into the distance, the birds are gathering again, and then you fade to the logo, a universal picture, and that's it. And I, I, went, to, I went to complain to the guy at the Regency. I said, is that it? Is that all that happened? How do you end that way? What happens to everybody? And, um, but I, in, in reassessing it, I think it may be the greatest ending of a Hollywood film ever because how much it would have cheapened everything that came before if we found out, oh, this is why the birds came. Oh, this is, you know, it's just in Bodega Bay or it's just in California. We don't know any of this stuff. Or if we see, you know, if they remade it today, you know, Will Smith would be leading the charge or, you know, and they'd, they'd you know, make yeah. fried chicken jokes and, right. you know, flamethrow the birds. And, right. you know, but the moment at the end, and in a lot of ways, The Birds is a film about people being completely unable to connect in any real emotional way. And right. in some some critics say that the bird attacks are sort of a metaphor for that. And there, if you look back and think back through the film, there are really no moments of emotional warmth in the entire movie until the very end. And that's my moment when Rod Taylor gets them all in the car and, you know, Tippi Hedren is, is, is going into shock, basically. And she... And, the touch on the shoulder from Jessica Tandy, who has been, you know, as John was saying before, uh, when he was talking about the birds, who's just been, you know, fragile and distant and, and awful. And There is this scene earlier where the two of them, after the scene I talked about, uh, when Jessica Tandy's in bed and Tippi Hedren is, they talk for a moment or whatever, and I, I think she brings her tea. tea and everything. She thanks her for the tea. Tea and yeah. everything. But... And, but and that start, moment, but the thing is that 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 Jessica Tandy starts to open up to her more and everything. But she that was, and that's and and that yeah. leads to that moment at the end. Just without yeah. it was a wordless little moment. It's yeah. about fifteen seconds where yeah. she puts her hand on her shoulder right. and Tippy Hedgen looks up at her and smiles and there's a smile of genuine warmth and it's yeah. it, it it turns, you know, the, one of the bleakest films ever made into and the birds don't uh, attack. Well, because not they, yet, they, right? But they've connected on somewhat because there is that that theme in the movie about how when people are trying to connect when there's some sort of like chaos turmoil between characters the bird attack the bird right that's exactly right and you know it it just reminds me that i have to sneak in one others i love there's one word in the script that i just adore which is when the attack comes on the birthday party and tippy hedgen and rod taylor get them all and she says i have to go inside now with the other children you know, right. which, but what? Wait, no, yeah. she's not a child. Wait, why did she say that? Yeah. And it's just such a, such an, a, yeah. a lens into her vulnerability mm-hmm. into yeah, that. And they have that conversation before where she talks about how she reveals that her mother had, had abandoned her. Right. Right. 
It is a it is a stunning movie, and like Vertigo, another movie that I did not love the first time I saw it. It keeps moving. The birds keeps moving up and up and up and up on my list. And maybe you're right, John. Maybe there is the redemption is even greater than this little family. Maybe the birds won't attack now because there's been finally some real silent but genuine emotional connection. Vertigo is another movie where there's that that ending that kind of leaves you a bit hanging like that or whatever. And there was a, supposed to be another ending tacked onto that where everything is kind of explained. Oh, yeah, the European ending. Yes. That's on the yeah, DVD. Ridiculous. They, they cut it. It's, it's, oh, it's yeah. ridiculous. You see the two, him and Mitch ridiculous. sitting and, and listening to the radio yeah, saying, yeah. in that, other news, Gavin Elster was, was picked caught. up for... Yeah, right. and Hitchcock. No, and, and there was another, there was an ending shot for the birds. You see that, that he filmed. I don't know if it's if anyone has it, if it still exists, but you, you see the car driving across the Golden Gate Bridge and it looks like everything is going to be okay and then the camera pulls cranes up, 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 up and one bird lands on one of the towers of the Golden Gate Bridge and that's the end. But Hitchcock got rid of it, chose to get rid of it. I he, think uh, wisely. He's right. He's yeah. right. Yeah. You yeah. bring up a, a motif though in Hitchcock that's repeated a lot and that's the whole of hands. Yes. It happens a lot in Hitchcock where you see he, he'll have close-ups of, of a hand touching another person or hands Joining together, we, we see it in almost all of Hitchcock movies. There's, there's that moment in Vertigo when the phone rings after he's gotten oh, yes. out of, you know, he's at, when uh, Judy is at, Madeline is at uh, Scotty Ferguson's apartment or whatever, and the phone rings and he goes to reach for it in the hand, and it's. Well, it's and like, <laughs> and it's it's not hand, well it's 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 hands too but the yeah. introduction of of Lisa in Rear Window you know in that 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 yeah. odd you know double print shot right. Lisa Carroll Fremont yeah. and yeah I mean physical for someone who was yeah. supposedly very uncomfortable with physical contact it's interesting how much it yeah my comes experience up with the birds is somewhat different from yours I actually saw the movie when it came out and I was eight. And it was... We've already made fun of you for this on another episode. Yes, so. <laughs> it was a horrible experience. No reruns. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And to this day, I've never been able to warm up to them. I find them all people that I just don't think I'd ever want to know, even briefly. But they're believable people. They are believable. Yeah, believable people. I mean, they each sort of had a, a story, you know, mm-hmm. that's... Uh, I mean... They all have different sides or whatever, I think. And I, I think I told you guys that, um, and I might have mentioned it in another episode, that in my all my years of teaching film, the only time I've had students asked to leave the room was the uh, the monkey bars scene, the attack outside the school oh. on the birds. My students literally couldn't take it. Three or four of them had said, can we please leave? To this day, so. if I see a bunch of birds in the park, I think of the movie. Yeah. And that, oh, a lot of people do. And yeah. it was, uh, you know, God. 50 years ago, wow. Um, so I don't love it as much as, as you guys. I don't even have a copy of it. I, I feel after listening to you two, I should get one because there is a lot of good stuff in it. Oh, oh yeah. And, and I, I can't, it's just, it is not one of my favorites. Unlike Vertigo, where I had a date, so to speak, and when the Vertigo was over, and I was, you know, in my late 20s then, I just said, uh, I have to sit through this again. You all <laughs> go do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, that's how much I, I, yeah, was, here's a, here's a ten, I was so uh, taken <laughs> by the movie because I really didn't know much about it. Right. I knew that Kim Novak played two women. That's all I knew. And Well, so. I remember when you, I actually, I remember because that was when it, right after it was re-released and I had 
gone to go see it. I hadn't seen it because I had already seen it, but I hadn't seen it in a long time because it hadn't been available. And I remember I, I didn't want to tell you much. You didn't about nope. the movie because I didn't want to influence you in any way. It's 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 a unique experience. Yeah. And the other uh, the other thing I'll say about it is that the ending of the birds is the scene I showed to my film class on September twelfth, two thousand one. Oh my god. On the day after nine eleven, because it it to me better than any other scene in Hitchcock, it represents unexplained, unexplainable, unmanageable chaos, just mm. exploding into the lives of right. normal people. And right. they, they got the metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. anyway, moving on. Number two, we're moving up. We're getting close to the very top. The altitude, air's getting thin. John, you're up. Oh, rear window. There's uh, a moment, it's after... I'm going to spoil your moment if I talk about this now. No, that's okay. Okay. That's All right. Okay. Well, it's after the very famous moment from from Rear Window. Uh, Lars Thorwald has realized who it is that's been watching him across the way. And James Stewart, is he has called his friend Wendell Corey, the detective. The yeah. And the phone rings again afterwards. He picks up the phone and starts talking again, thinking he's speaking to Wendell Corey, and there's no like, sound at hello? the other end. Hello? And he realizes, yeah. <laughs> he realizes it's Lars Thorwald. And he hangs up, and of course, it's one of the, the first moments in the movie, actually, we're, we're truly terrified. Yes. And Hitchcock's use of sound is so brilliant, because then we hear, hear the sound of... Probably an ele- a door opening, and then possibly an elevator. We hear steps, and then suddenly Lars Thorwald appears in the doorway in the dark. But it's a really, really interesting moment the way it's done for two reasons. One, it's like this monster is coming up the stairs, but Slow then suddenly steps. we're confronted with Lars Thorwald, played by Raymond Burr. As a real person, and he's a schnook. What do you What do you want? What and do you he want? says? He says, "What? I what don't do have you, money. What do you want?" And and suddenly we're like, "Oh, what? What kind of what kind of man is this, or whatever?" <laughs> There's a slight, <laughs> slight, very short moment. You actually That's have some compassion, compassion for, for him. him. You're yep. wondering, like, what what happened to how this did man? He get there? What, yeah. How did he get to this point? What happened to him and everything? He's he's human. But then he tries to kill James Stewart, and we don't like him anymore. <laughs> and, I, and he also killed the dog, <laughs> yes. right? And I love the, the um, and I love the flash bulbs. You know how that effect oh, is, oh, is pulled off is so Brilliant. amazing. I don't know how he did that. Yeah, but just yeah. incredible. Well, Robert Burks, photography by Robert Burks is beautiful. Yep, movie. there's a reason he worked with the same yep. folks for all those years in his yep. golden period. Uh, including, if only you'd work with a screenwriter more, John Michael Hayes. But yep. that's another other episode. Michael, your number two? Well, my number two is another John Michael Hayes There it script. is. It's To Catch a Thief. Of course. And uh, which also won the Academy Award for Robert Burks for cinematography. Deservedly so, yep. my goodness. This I would not call To Catch a Thief a thriller. I wouldn't call it suspense. I think it's as close to a rom-com. <laughs> it's a confection, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it's a great French pastry. Yeah. It is, <laughs> but it is so totally enjoyable in every, in every way. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I got more laughs out of that movie, which I watched uh, on YouTube. Thank you, John. Um, 
than I did out of uh, Crazy Rich Asians last week. Oh, all right. I'm going to mention, we're going to talk about that one later, a tiny bit setting up. But um, it is just a constant funny film. Cary Grant's funny. The French people he works with are funny. Everybody looks gorgeous. The Riviera is beautiful. Grace Kelly is so, is the, I would say, the most beautiful woman who ever did movies. I'm the only one I'd put up against her is. Catherine Deneuve circa uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Repulsion, like 64, 65. But American, no doubt. Yeah, arguably. But but Kelly, and especially in the three movies that she does for Hitchcock and yeah. other films. Hmm. But um, she looks just so totally beautiful in the Edith Head gowns. And it's funny. It's constantly funny. Yeah. The entendres are funny. Um, here, here's one of... Of course, my favorite single shot, and it's the most memorable shot in the film, is Jesse Lloyd uh, Royce Land is the putting in the cigarette in the egg yolk. <laughs> egg. It has no purpose at all, Glorious. except to show how rich she is. Yep. <laughs> and then my uh, my favorite uh, moment, my favorite line, is when Francine Grace Kelly accuses Roby of stealing her mother's jewels. Mother doesn't believe. It. Francine calls the police. Police enter Mrs. Stevens' room, and she plays totally dumb, like she's never seen him before. And who is he? Meanwhile, he's on the roof, and the background score changes for just a moment when we hear Francine saying off camera, Mother, the book you're reading is upside down. <laughs> and, and that's just, just the kind of movie it is. And, and I, I guess it, I, I often wonder how it was... Uh, uh, since it came out the year I was born, how it was promoted, how it was... I'm think, I think it did well. Didn't I it? guess it I did well. It, I don't it was Grant's first was movie promoted. in three years, supposedly. Yeah. We, you know, we were talking about use of hands in Hitchcock or whatever, and there's a, there's a great moment, again, in To Catch a Thief. It's after, after the funeral he goes to, and um, he's going back to, uh, I guess his car or whatever, but... Grace Kelly is waiting for him in her car, and they, there's a little exchange between them. And she suddenly, you know, reveals to him that she's in love with him. And he starts, and he kind of looks at her like startled, like, "Oh, I thought this was sort of a game." Kind of. And she grabs grabs his hand or whatever. Yes. And he looks at his hand and looks at hers, just sort of startled. And it's it's a beautiful moment. Yeah. There there are moments, even yeah. though I guess it's sort of a comedy the movie, really but there is. are. But there are moments where, again, he does that thing where he kind of keeps putting that double-edged sword because the, the funeral scene is not funny. It's yeah. not funny, but unlike North by Northwest, you just, you're never really, no characters in Right, no one's no. in trouble. No, no, no. No, 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 no. one. It's, it's just too light. As you say, a confection. Mm-hmm. I, I just remembered you prefer the thigh or the breast. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite moment to catch a thief. I'm still pondering that question, Grace Kelly, wherever you are. Um, my second is from a film that I think is a very mixed bag of, of film, but I think it just illustrates Hitchcock's brilliant, instinctive brilliance as a filmmaker. And it's from The Man Who Knew Too Much, the 56 remake with uh, James Stewart and Doris Day. And it's um, from one of Hitchcock's greatest set pieces, which is the assassination sequence at Albert Hall that comes near the end. And Grace Kelly, uh, Grace Kelly, Doris Day has been warned that if she tries in any way to stop the assassination, they're going to kill her little boy who they've kidnapped. And she's 
managed to escape and she's in the Albert Hall and she sees the victim and she sees the killer who she's met before and the killer comes up to her memory and says, I forget the actor, he's a wonderful actor. You have a very nice boy, madam. Yeah. His safety <laughs> depends on you tonight. And he's like dangerously slimy. Right, and then it, it's, it's Bernard Herrmann himself conducting a piece called The Stormcloud Cantata and we know that the a killer has been trained to fire his shot at this climactic moment of the symbols crash. And the piece builds and builds and builds and builds to that. But about two-thirds of the way through the scene, Jimmy Stewart has escaped from them, and he comes in too, and he sees her standing there not knowing what to do, rushes in, and any other director in the world would have cut to their conversation and put the, put the music in the background. Right. And Hitchcock doesn't. He keeps it as a silent scene. We see them talking to each other. It's like a, a dumb show, almost. And you see her pointing to the killer's box. We see her pointing to the victim's box. And it's so brilliant because you realize that the whole point of the scene is the music, is that piece building and building and building. Right. We right. see the music. We see right. it's the one, that's the joke. It's the yeah. one note the cymbal player has. Right. And then we see him sitting there, and we see him all the rest, you know, 98 million bars of rest, and then the one note. And it's building and building and building. And then we see Jimmy Stewart run upstairs. And then, of course, what happens, happens. Um, and it's just, it, 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 that was a moment that really made me understand how incredible a filmmaker he was by not cutting away by letting the momentum of the piece build uh it, it just completely makes that sequence which i would say again the film is not maybe top five top ten hitchcock but that sequence uh, is just ridiculously amazing yeah i just watched it again recently it's beautiful really beautiful and it's very very powerful the, the, the scene one. where he yeah. also the scene where he sedates Doris Day to, to tell her the news about their son yeah. being kidnapped. She's yeah. actually quite good in it. Absolutely. She is. She is. Yeah. I mean, really you know, is. she oversings K. Sera at the end so her boy can hear her from upstairs. <laughs> That's the point. It's just... But well, there's I, even shots of the people listening to her, like kind of look at you. Yes, right, exactly. So it's really <laughs> loud. But I think that is, you know, and again, that's the John Michael Hayes period. That's sort of that golden was what was '56, I think it yes. came out. And just to watch that sequence, and, and it's not surprising that you know Hitchcock. We're talking about Hitchcock as someone who used the tools of film better than anyone who started in the silent era. Um, that a lot of his best sequences are without dialogue, are, are, are wordless. And here was a perfect opportunity to blow it, and he didn't, because we don't need to hear the conversation. We know no. exactly what yeah. they're saying. It's a perfect example it's of... It's more interesting and powerful without hearing. Of course, right. and it's about Hitchcock trusting his audience, yes. which, which directors he... don't do enough of no. today. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's my, well, that's then... my number two. Yeah, and even mm -hmm. then is right. Yeah. All right, drum roll, please. Da -da 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 -da. It's time for number one. John, kick it off, brother. Okay. Of course. Vertigo. Uh, Where to choose? The moment, the moment I'm going to be talking about is... Uh, let, first, let me set it up, because we're already pretty far into the movie. And I think everybody has the same experience with Vertigo, is that, first of all, that, that amazing opening with just the credits and everything, and then on the rooftop, it just, the movie just slowly keeps sucking you in. And you get deeper and deeper and deeper into that movie. You become so involved, and there's a constant push-pull circular 
motion in the movie uh, that you just the, the spinning, you just, the you just, spinning, you yeah. just can't escape it and everything. It's on so many different levels. Uh, Scotty Ferguson, played by James Stewart, has at this point has been following Madeline, played by Kim Novak, for quite a while now. And um, this is after uh, the scene that you referred to before, because she has come to his apartment bay. and yeah. they start so-called wandering together. They've already been to the the, the redwood forest, and this time they're, they're, they're at the, I forget what the name of the... It's a, at Big Sur, isn't it? It's, uh, it's somewhere around there or whatever, mm -hmm. but um, anyway, she has been talking about her dream, and she indicates that, that in the dream she, she dies. In fact, the, the, the dialogue uh, is... I'm not mad, I'm not mad, and I don't want to die, but there's someone inside me, there's, there's somebody else, and she says, I must die. Scotty, don't let me go. And he says, I'm here, I've got you. And she says, I'm so afraid, and you won't let it happen. And he says, don't leave me, stay with me. And he says, all the time, and it's the first time that they kiss. And the wave. And, and the wave in the background with her crashes at the exact moment and everything. <laughs> it's so beautifully composed and I think with any lesser director the scene would have been so corny and schmaltzy and just as big cliche but it's with Hitchcock it's very powerful and the music and and oh. and, and yeah and then the music it's it's it, very moving and I, I it suddenly becomes not just about them kissing, about but about a, almost a comet and almost every single romantic kiss in every movie ever made, and about every time that two people suddenly realize that they're in love with each other. And it's one of the most moving and powerful moments, I think, in all the films. And yet Hitchcock... Totally agree. ...in the Truffaut book thinks it's a failure. The movie, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. because he always had his eye on the box office, and if it didn't well, succeed that, at the box office... Well, that also he yeah. was not... Altogether happy with Kim Novak. Even though I think she's, I think in that movie, I think she's. I can't well, imagine Vera Miles. I was going to say that's, yeah. yeah. It would have been a very different. I think movie. Vera Miles overall is a, is a better actress. Yeah. But. Um, but you need somebody who is like Clay, who is manip exactly. manipulatable. Sorry for that word. Yeah, yeah, but it is. Well, the big difference, too, is there was always something about Kim Novak that was sort of otherworldly, not quite all there. You always, there were times where she didn't feel like she was fully present. Vera Miles was always very yeah. grounded, very present. And it wouldn't have worked for Vertigo. Yeah. No. No, absolutely. It would have been, been a very different, would have very different I, movie. I, hats off to you, John, for choosing just one moment from that. God, there's the, the entire thing. We could go on just about that one. Michael, what's your number one? I must confess, it's oh. one, of, one of my most favorite moments in all movies. I find it very moving, very powerful. Well, Vertigo is my favorite movie of all time. I didn't put it in the top five because I was limiting it yeah, there's to funny, witty scenes. And Vertigo only has really one scene, laugh out loud scene. Putting and oil on my banana leaves? Uh, no, well, that, no, uh, and it, it's a funny, sad scene. No, it's... it's uh, Foreign, but sweet. <laughs> It's Barbara Bel Geddes when she does oh, the Oh, when she does the paint, Carlotta painting. And yeah. the Carlotta, and we're totally taken back because it's, it's hilarious. It's a painting of her, but it's so sad because it is. his reaction to it, and she yeah. realizes. No, not funny, Mitch. No. That she's blown it. Yeah. yeah. 
And she calls herself Marjorie for the only time in the movie, right? Plus, it brings up something that's really interesting that we talked about before, is that when, when we're following, you know, Scotty Ferguson, we really do care about him. We want him to be happy. But as he gets pulled closer and closer into this spiral mm-hmm. of falling in love with Madden, that we have a very... We have very conflicted feelings about it because we want him to be happy, but at the same time, it's like, well, is she really the right person that's going to make you happy? Stay away, maybe. No, and, away. and then the second half of the film, he becomes an outright monster. I, yeah. I, I took somebody to see this who hadn't seen it, who'd never seen it, and didn't really know too much about it. And yeah. She's a movie fan, an actress, and she was actually kind of offended by the film. She did not think it was anything great. She couldn't understand why I thought it was great. But... What, whatever. I can understand why people might yes. not like Vertigo. My number one witty scene and scenes throughout is Rear Window. My feeling is if you don't like Rear Window, you don't have a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> not, to get, not to get judgy, audience. No, I will judgy. get judgy on that. If you don't <laughs> like that movie, because I saw it I, on television at nine years old. After yeah. I swore I would never see another Hitchcock movie after The Birds. Yeah. But. Yeah, I've never met anyone that doesn't like how Rear Window. can you not? It yeah. is such a totally great setup. It's, it's a fantastically witty script. Everybody in it is great. Once again, Grace Kelly, totally beautiful. Yeah. And my favorite line in the film, and there's so many of them, but I always wait for this one. It's after... Um, 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 James Stewart. Why can't I remember the character? Uh, Jeffries. Jeffries. Yeah. LB Jeffries. LB. After LB has written that fake note, or that note to Thorwald. To get him out of the apartment. What have you done with her? Yeah. yeah. And then Grace Kelly goes across the uh, courtyard and slips him the note. And she comes back and she's really excited. Stuart looks at her with true love. The first time we really see love coming out right, of his face for right. her. And, and she delivers the note to Thorwell, and, and she asks, well, what was his reaction when he read the note? And off camera, Stella, the great, great <laughs> Thelma Ritter. Thelma Ritter. One of the great character actresses of all times replies, well, it's not the kind of expression that would get him a lo- quick loan at the bank. Yeah. <laughs> she's got, a throwaway line. She's got all the best lines. And in she the has film. the best oh, lines, yeah. but she always did. She always did. It was. It is a perfectly cast movie, and it's on TV tonight, uh, 11:30. I'm going to watch it again. Oh I, God, I've yeah. seen it a hundred times. I, I never, never tire of it. I never tire of the lines. There is, there is absolutely. I, yeah. I can't imagine anybody disliking that film, yeah. even. Even if you didn't like Jimmy Stewart and in the fifties, you know, I thought I think he was really one of the best actors. Oh I yeah. I think I think he should have retired after Anatomy of a Murder, but that's just my Well he started to become a little hand very kind of yeah. almost caricature, caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Although as I said, his work his work after World War Two is, is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, and as I've said before, I, I, I do like him in Liberty Valance, but... But he's uh, too old. Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's, that's the problem with Liberty Valance. He's, he is, he's too old. Yeah. Everybody is, but I still love that movie. Except for John Wayne, he's perfectly cast. Wayne's good in he's it. Supposed to, he's very good in it. He's supposed I to like be Wayne old. in it. 
So anyway, all right. that's, that's my number digress. one. And that's and and so I'm gonna follow form here. And a Rear Window is not my favorite Hitchcock, although it is the film. Remember, we were talking about this in episode one about how back in '83, you know, after the rights had been cleared for those five films. Uh, to celebrate their finally coming out on videotape, uh, they showed you know in New York and LA screenings of five of them. Vertigo was the second, but Rear Window was first, and so I had never seen it because <gasps> no, well, I mean I was I was a young college That's boy. Right. I was yeah, I was you know I was eighteen. Yeah, we were lucky. <laughs> and um, and I, it, it completely made, and I will never ever forget. John hinted at it before. My favorite moment in Hitchcock is the moment where you know we've been looking. The screen it threw through the telephoto lens at Raymond Burr. Grace Kelly has snuck up to the apartment. She's found the wedding ring in the purse. Um, you know they call the cops. The cops come in, and so Grace Kelly is safe, and she wants to indicate to Jimmy Stewart that she's found Miss, the late Mrs. Thorwald's ring. So she's wiggling her finger behind her back and pointing to it. Thorwald sees her, and looks right at us. Yes. And I swear. Everybody in the movie theater yeah. pushed their chairs back and said, oh my God, he's seen us. And it's like, if that is not brilliant filmmaking, it reminded me of that moment in um, um, uh, Rosemary's Baby. You know, we only see Ruth Gordon, you know, in the door, and then, then the door is blocking her, and then everyone in the theaters right. looking around. That's what great directors do. And that's, that, that is still my favorite moment in all of Hitchcock because it's the best film ever made except maybe Peeping Tom, but that's next episode, about watching and uh, we're caught. We're all voyeurs and we, we, he caught us and and you know James Stewart and Thelma Ritter pushed themselves back so they're in the yeah, shadows that, that again. That shot but, afterwards is yeah. so brilliant. Because uh, it's also, I guess it's the first time you see him, a shot of him in yeah. the apartment It's out, outside or whatever and the camera is swoons back or whatever oh god it's like oh my god he caught it's us breathtaking. not he caught jimmy stewart not he caught lb jeffries he yeah. caught he us, caught us. Yes. Voyeurs. and that's just brilliant right. filmmaking yeah. my friends yeah. again wordless hitchcock is to me is always best yeah. wordless so that's it that is our uh, our top five hitchcock moments we covered you know a lot of the same films but we spread it out a little bit and there's so much more I to still say have six through 100 i though. know exactly we'll come i've got through. other moments too <laughs> we got to do hitchcock villains that's another good that one, one we can yeah, totally I'd do, love that. To do that we'll totally do that so um i'm gonna end by uh sort of uh, leading on to what's our our next episode it was uh, occurred to me that uh this summer has been a shockingly good year so far for movies. There have been, you know, usually a year, by the time you get to the end of August when we're recording this, last year, for example, there was Get Out, which was clearly head and shoulders above just about everything else. And also, I like ba I like Baby Driver. I thought Baby Driver was a great little genre film. Did not. I thought it was like mm -hmm. Asphalt Jungle on Speed. Have you seen it yet? I liked it. I saw it. I kind of liked it. I liked it. I mean, you know, I and, and liked it. Jamie Foxx and John Hamm and Kevin Spacey in those little roles. Like, I, I did like it. But anyway, this year we were thinking that you know you've got Black Panther which is for my money the only superhero film besides Dark Knight that is you know worthy of consideration beyond its genre that's it's just a great film um, Deborah Granick's my film crush Deborah Granick who did Winter's Bone have you guys seen Leave No Trace no I'd like to oh, yeah, yeah and it's not around anymore brilliant I love it don't miss it yeah. um, Sorry to Bother You which was completely out of nowhere and unexpected um, First Reformed which we all love yes. the Schrader film like with Ethan Hawke Blind Spotting Blind Spotting I have on my list yeah. too um, Black Klansman is on my list and uh, also uh, 
great documentaries like RBG and the Mr. Rogers documentary. RBG is on TV next Monday. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, well, I gotta watch it. Mm-hmm. And some people would throw Incredibles 2 on that list. I liked it. I didn't love it. And I, it wasn't that crazy about Incredibles 1. And I think Crazy Rich Asians is a film that I know, Mike, you didn't like it. Well, but. I just didn't find it funny. That was my problem. That's a problem with a comedy. But um, we, Catch a Thief is funnier. 2018, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, to, low bar. 2008, I haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians yet, so I can't say. But my point is that 2018 may, in retrospect, be one of Hollywood's great years. And it's always traditionally thought that Hollywood's greatest year, it's Anus Mirabilis, is 1939. In our next episode, we are going to, uh, we are going to completely argue with that, and each of us is going to pick a year that we feel is the greatest year in the history of global cinema and that's fairly key. So uh, stick around for September's episode. We always uh, thank you for listening and we welcome your feedback. Um, Vintage Sand is, as ever, a five nines and a four production uh, produced by the... Someday we'll explain that. No, we won't. (laughs) Not never. (laughs) You'll have to kill me first. I smile every time he says that. Um, The the insidest of inside jokes. Um, Produced by Melissa Ariel Cabot, the fabulous. We want to thank Mama Sue and the late Alexa for the space. We miss you, Alexa. And we will see you next time as we talk about the great years of film.